If you want the latest news in technology, reviews of great new tech hardware and software, along with helpful tech tips, then Tech Brood with Greg Doig is the podcast for you and everyone that loves tech. Welcome to week 12 of Tech Brood. I'm your host, Greg Doig. If you love technology like I do, yes, you're in the right place again. Here are some of this week's top tech headline stories for the week of September 6th through September 10th. This is a collection of the top technology news stories from around the web this week. First story up says Apple products could see noticeable price rises amid increased chip costs. This story comes from Mac Rumors, written by Hartley Charlton. It says TSMC, which is Apple's main chip supplier, is in the process of increasing its prices following wider inflation in the industry caused by the global chip supply shortage. The company's planned price increases said to be the most substantial chip price hikes in a decade. The effect on retail prices for devices such as smartphones and computers is expected to be noticeable. It is speculated that consumer electronics brands will increase the retail prices of their high-end models next year to offset the impact on mid-range and entry-level devices. Chip prices are expected to remain high while clients push for smaller fabrication and more advanced chip production processes. Other sources said that the market should correct once demand falls, since chip makers will need to lower prices to lure more clients and maintain utilization rates. Second story up, zero trust in cybersecurity. Here's what it means and why it matters. This comes from ZDNet, written by Liam Tung. The UK's National Cybersecurity Center this week said zero trust has become a very fashionable term in the tech world. To address the slipperiness of its definition, NCSC has outlined a few traps and pitfalls that organizations running a zero trust migration should be mindful of. So what is zero trust according to the NCSC? Zero trust is the idea of removing inherent trust from the network. Just because a device is within the internal trusted side of a firewall or, or VPN, it should not be trusted by default. They also went on to explain in a blog post five reasons why zero trust might be a good philosophy to adopt. In a zero trust model, every action a user or device takes is subject to some form of policy decision. This allows the organization to verify every attempt to access data or resources, making life very difficult for an attacker. Zero trust allows strong authentication and authorization while reducing the network overhead of extending your corporate network out into your users' homes. In some zero trust, security controls can enable a much better user experience. An example, by using single sign-on, users only have to enter credentials once rather than every time they want to use a different application. Greater control over data access means you can grant access to specific data to the right audience. And enhancing your logging capability to include events from user devices and services gives you a much richer picture of what's happening in your environment, allowing you to detect compromises with more accuracy. Next story, get ready for iOS 15 and iPadOS 15. Another story from ZDNet, written by Adrian Kingsley Hughes. You might wonder, will your iPhone get iOS 15? Well, here's a list of the iPhones that are eligible for this upgrade. Your iPhone 12 series, iPhone 11 series, iPhone XS and XS Max, iPhone XR, iPhone X, iPhone 8 and 8 Plus, iPhone 7 and 7 Plus, 
iPhone 6S and 6S Plus, iPhone SE first generation, iPhone SE second generation. And as far as iPads, for the update for the iPad OS, you have the iPad Pro 12.9-inch fifth generation, iPad Pro 11-inch third generation, iPad Pro 12.9-inch fourth generation, iPad Pro 11-inch second generation, iPad Pro 12.9-inch third generation, iPad Pro 11-inch first generation, iPad Pro 12.9-inch second generation, iPad Pro 12.9-inch first generation. And continued here with the iPads, iPad Pro 10.5-inch, iPad Pro 9.7-inch, iPad 8th generation, iPad 7th generation, iPad 6th generation, iPad 5th generation. And finishing off the list for the iPads, we have iPad Mini 5th generation, iPad Mini 4, iPad Air 4th generation, iPad Air 3rd generation, and iPad Air 2. So unless you have a device that's probably more than four or five years old, you should be able to upgrade your iPhone or your iPad to the next version of iPad OS 15 and iOS 15. And the first thing you need to decide, though, is whether you want to stick with iOS 14 or iPad OS 14 or upgrade. Apple has said that iPhone and iPad owners will get the choice, but right now it's unclear as to what choice will be presented. But at this point, it's worth knowing that the choice exists and sticking on the current version won't mean you won't get security patches in the future. If you're the sort of person who has disabled automatic updates and forget to do it manually, running older apps on the new release could cause problems. It's also a good idea to make space before installing a new update. So get rid of any apps you aren't using to free up space. You will probably need at least a gigabyte and ideally two or three gigabytes of free space for this update. Always. Make a backup of your data, one in the cloud in case things go bad, and one on your PC or Mac in case things get really bad. And you can also take a look at Apple's support page if you're not sure how to do that. And again, finally, don't rely on passwords that only exist on your iPhone or iPad. Following the upgrade, you'll need to enter your iCloud password to be able to reconnect to all your data and photos. If you don't have this close on hand, remember, having it on the device you're upgrading isn't going to work. You need to know and be able to have those passwords available before you do that. Also, if your local backup is encrypted, then you need to remember the password in case something goes wrong. Microsoft News is now Microsoft Start, which they describe as a fresh way to have your news, weather, and interests curated with AI and machine learning coupled with human moderation. This story comes from Windows Central, written by Zach Bowden. Microsoft has announced that it is launching a new personalized feed website that it calls Microsoft Start that's designed to make it easy to gather news and information content from premium publishers in one place. The company says that Microsoft Start builds off the legacy of MSN and Microsoft News with enhanced AI and machine learning paired with human moderation to help curate content. The new Microsoft Start service is what powers the Windows 10 news and interests experience, as well as the widgets panel that will be found in Windows 11. It's also what users will find when they open a new tab in Microsoft Edge, and users can download a dedicated Microsoft Start page for Android or iOS, as well as access the service via the web. The mobile app replaces the current Microsoft News app on iOS and Android. And here a final story. Better support for Microsoft's NTFS file system is coming to Linux 5.15 kernel. 
Again, this story comes from ZDNet, written by Liam Tung. It says Linux creator Linus Torvalds has agreed to include Paragon Software's NTFS3 kernel driver, giving the Linux kernel 5.15 release improved support for Microsoft's NTFS file system. But he also had some process and security lessons to offer developers as to how to add code submissions to the kernel. Paragon's NTFS driver will make working with Windows NTFS drives in Linux an easier task, ending decades of difficulties with Microsoft's proprietary file system that succeeded FAT. Here is another review by TechBrood. In this week's review section, I'm just going to cover a question I got from a client last week who asked what the difference is between an external hard drive and an external SSD. And the answer basically is that external hard drives get you more capacity for the amount of money you have to spend for them. But you also need to consider the major difference in external storage these days when you look at the external hard drive versus the SSD or solid state drives. Solid state drives have fewer moving parts than traditional hard drives, and they offer the quickest access to your data. Other factors that you want to look at is the physical size of the drive and whether it's designed to be carted around or to sit on your desk. Look at how rugged it is, the type of interface it uses to connect to your PC, and for some, even what color it comes in. So to sum it up, portable hard drive or SSD, which do you choose? The external hard drives that have spinning storage platters inside are more affordable. Currently, a one terabyte model often sells around the $50 price range. But again, they're also much slower and more fragile than solid state drives. If you don't need terabytes of storage and you travel with your drive, a portable SSD is worth paying a few extra dollars for A portable SSD will also be faster at reading and writing your data. But if you do need large amounts of external storage, a traditional external hard drive is a better option for most, as multiple terabyte external SSDs sell for hundreds of dollars, whereas a four terabyte portable hard drive is often found for in the $100 price range these days. So if you're looking for external storage, that's a quick answer as to the difference between external hard drives and external solid state drives. And I hope that helps. Get ready for some tech tips from Tech Brood. And here are this week's tech tips coming up for you Mac users who want to know about screen time. With Mac OS Catalina, Apple introduced screen time to the Mac for the first time. This handy tool is your one-stop shop for restricting distracting content and tracking your device usage. Enable a few settings and you could find yourself more focused than ever before because it is on iPhones and iPads too. It works well across all your devices, letting you track your habits and learn what should be changed. And if you want to protect the limits you put in place, you can set a screen time passcode. Just open screen time from system preferences, click options, and check the use screen time passcode to do that. And if you want to enable screen time, this is what you do. Open your system preferences and click screen time, then check options, then turn on. To see data from your other devices on the same Apple ID, click share across devices. On iOS devices, go to settings, screen time, and share across devices to do that. At the top of the sidebar, you'll see your app usage section. When you click there, it will show you how much time you spent in each app in your day. And for you Google users, there's a Google Workspace tip. In new Google Sites, you can now restore a specific page from version history. Previously, you could only restore an entire site. 
This additional functionality makes it easier to restore, edit, and republish specific pages that may have changed by mistake or been deleted. Gradual rollout started on September 8th. The full rollout will start on September 21st. And it's available to all Google Workspace customers, as well as G Suite Basic and business customers and users with personal Google accounts. And our final tip for Windows users is about backup. You can never talk enough about backup. And here we go again. A critical task for Windows 10 computers is found in PC security and maintenance in the operating system, and it's also called backup. It's the name of a program and process, and it's often neglected. You access the backup utilities in Windows 10 by opening the Settings app. You can also press the Windows key in the letter I shortcut, choose Update and Security, and Backup. You'll see a toggle that will show whether it's on or off. For backup and file history to work, you need either an external drive or a network drive. You cannot back up to the computer's primary storage, which is usually Drive C. There are third-party backup utilities available for Windows. Most cost money, either for this software or for the use of cloud backup storage, usually with a subscription fee. Many people prefer cloud backup because it's more reliable than an external hard drive, which can fail. Cloud backup is available anywhere you'll have Internet access, but it's still a good idea to have at least two copies of your data. And look, wow, that's it. We're done with another show this week, but we'll work to bring you more and hope you enjoyed another episode of Tech Brood. That's right, where we talk about getting your tech brood just the way you like. And I'm Greg Doig, and you can find out more and sign up for the newsletter at gregdoig.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>